Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening from wherever you're tuning in across the planet. We are so delighted that you are here with us at this moment to worship with us, to study with us, to pray with us, to exalt Christ with us as the body of Christ. And uh, as you, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that we have been going through our value series called United in Christ. And it, that was reflected in the video right before the sermon as the council shared some of their thoughts about how we are united as a leadership team. That although there are sometimes even disagreements among council, we know that we are, at the end of the day, committed to being united in Christ. We're going to discuss more of that about disputes in the body of Christ today. And we also think our age and stage committee who has been putting together the videos before the sermon each week. We have um, assigned each committee a little project for each of the values that we're going through and age and stage lined up with United in Christ. And so these videos have been reflected, uh, been reflecting the diversity, but the unity also that exists in Union Church of Manila. Secondly, I'd like to call your attention to our midweek devotions that we've been giving. They come out on Wednesdays. They were originally designed to be a supplemental material for our SDGs to continue studying the values that we are embracing at Union Church of Manila. And so there's a video and then there's a discussion guide that goes along with the SDGs. But if you're not an SDG and, and you just want to tune into that video, we would encourage you to do that and, and reflect on some of those um, uh, further discussions on what it means to be united in Christ. Better yet, we would encourage you to get involved in an SDG and, and uh, go through some of those discussion questions together to submerge yourself deeper into the word. And so today we're going to start off in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you have a Bible, take that out and uh, pull it out and, and we'll, we'll study that together. We're going to dive in and, and then we're going to jump around in a variety of different places in, in scripture this morning. Let, let's invite the Lord into our time though. Lord, we do uh, thank you that we have this thing called the body of Christ that we are a part of, Lord, this holy and sacred body. And we pray, Lord, that today you would be exalted in it, that uh, the word would speak uh, to us and it would challenge us and some of our assumptions and some of our uh, hardened hearts even, Lord, that you would help soften us so that we would become just more like you. Thank you for loving us to be willing to do that and to confront us in our false narratives. So speak to us today. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, last week, in our United to Christ series, we, we highlighted the biblical mandate of keeping unity in the midst of our diversity. And I guess it would be nice to suggest that doing this, keeping this unity is easy because the body is united and it's knit together, as Paul says in Colossians, and, and, and the people are using their giftings and their talents and the resources that God has given them, that it would always be sort of a, a vibrant and harmonious utopia where everyone's pulling in the same direction at the same time, and that there exists this constant peaceful ambiance where we can retreat from friction and anger and disputes and discord that are ever present in the world around us. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be just a, a perfect embodiment of, of the body of Christ? I'll tell you what, that would be a more pleasant scenario for me to discuss, to talk about, and something I would much rather prefer to teach about 
from the scriptures. Much more positive to teach about that piece of the biblical message of church that we talked about last week. Yet, here's the reality that confronts us in scripture when we examine the New Testament. We see that although the church was bound together and knit together as one body in Christ, that we were to be united, that this harmonious utopia, it didn't always unfold, unfortunately. In fact, the New Testament writers are constantly urging the various churches to settle their disputes, to settle their strife, and calling on the church to maintain the peace. You see, one of the problems that entered into the early church was the this thing called division. The sin of division, dispute, and discord. I call them the three D's of the church that lead to the fourth D, destruction. It undermines, these things are, when they are present in the body of Christ, they lead to just the undermining of the unity that Christ calls us to as his people. And the three D's occurred, as I looked in the scripture, in the Jerusalem church, the Philippian church, the Ephesian church, the Colossian church, the Roman church. Paul talks about this division with pastors Timothy and Titus and the churches they were leading. And the list goes on and on throughout the pages in the New Testament where the writers are warning the church over and over and over and over again about divisions and the problems that arise because of them. And if we look at all of these discussions about division and you put them on one page or or one screenshot, as I did earlier this week as I was uh, studying division in the body of Christ, and you look at all those together and you you see example after example after example and, and, and exhortation after exhortation, you begin to ask the question, What was going on in the early church? Think about it. After Christ calls for unity, he says, Lord, make them one as we are one. After the apostles preach harmony and unity, after it's been called for over and over again, why are the three D's so prevalent And so just everywhere, omnipresent, it seemed like, in the holy body of Christ that is to be united. That that seems far a far cry from this united utopia that we so long for, sort of envision in the body of Christ. Well, that brings us to our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul devotes much of his letter to the issues of the ongoing divisions in the church of Corinth. And certainly chapter three is nearly all about the division that was going on. You see, the church was struggling to keep the peace. It was a church where the three D's were raging almost uncontrollably in the body caused by divergent opinions over who they thought their leader would be. Or, or, or over different lawsuits and, and, and different disputes that they had over properties and, and over church practices. And, and the list goes on and on about these 
three D's that keep creeping up or popping their heads up in the body of Christ. And, and this truly grieves the heart of the Apostle Paul who knows that the church is to be united. But more important to our discussion today, I want you to notice that the language that Paul uses to describe their spiritual condition is rather abrasive. <laughs> because of this disunity, he uses rather forceful words to try and bring the three D's under control, knowing how destructive it is. Look at the text with me, if you would. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look at verses 1 through 4. He says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. That's, that's a, firm, a pretty firm rebuke right out, of the, right out of the gate here. He says, but you are in fact people of the flesh as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you're not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, notice this, this jealousy and strife that is leading to division all throughout the rest of the letter that Paul is going to write to them. He says, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? The particular debate that he's giving right here is on the subject of who they were going to follow. And there are disputes and strife and division and anger and, and hot topics or hot uh, debate going on within the church. And I want you to notice, first of all, that Paul points out that ongoing division is a sign of their spiritual immaturity. It shows that they aren't as mature in their faith as maybe they thought they were. In fact, go back to the text. Look at what he says here. Right here, he says, hey, you're people of the flesh. He says, you're infants in Christ. And that's why I have to give you milk and not solid food. You weren't ready for it. See, he says, your disunity demonstrates that you are still mere spiritual babes. Babies, infants. What, what very strong language that Paul uses in the church. Imagine, beloved, if I were to stand up here today and, and, and record this for everybody and, and tell everybody in UCM and say, hey, let me just tell you, you're a bunch of babies, grow up. <laughs> that, that might not go over too well. And keep in mind, Paul is not trying to insult them. He's not trying to be pejorative here. He's trying to lovingly awaken them to their weak and vulnerable condition that is destructive to the body of Christ and doesn't represent a mature and thriving representation of, of the body of Christ. But, but notice, he not only says that their, their division points to their spiritual immaturity, Paul also demonstrates here, it indicates that their ongoing division was a sign of their worldliness. Go, go to our text in verse three, back to our text. Notice what he says. He says, number one, he says, you're not spiritual people. I can't address you as spiritual people. You are people of the flesh. And then he goes in and repeats that again. He says, you are still of the flesh. And then he says, you're behaving only in a human way. He's basically indicating here, you're not, you're not very spiritual. And that's demonstrated by the way that you interact with one another. This means that your activity is replicating 
the fallen and the sin-filled patterns and narrative of your culture and the broader world around you rather than the patterns and the activity and the movement of spirit-filled people and the movement of the body of Christ and giving a a visible, tangible representation of the body of Christ. You're, You're acting no different than the world that you were called out of. You're acting no different than the other people that we see around you that that are so supposed to be so different than the body of Christ. See, when you are in discord, this is an indication that you are giving into the desires of your flesh, giving into your humanity rather than your spiritual nature, than rather than the spirit working in you. James even asked the church of Jerusalem in chapter four, look at what he says. They were, they were disputing too in Jerusalem. And he says, what causes the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't you know they come from the evil desires that war within you? Do you, you, you see those words? What words James uses? He uses some pretty strong words about division as well. He says that all the fighting that is going on in your ranks going on in the body of Christ. It's not coming from the body of Christ. It's not coming from Jesus. It's not part of that living body and thriving body of Christ or or Jesus kind of movement or, or even a place of Christian ethos. So it has to be coming from another place. This means that it's coming from the evil that is residing within you. Isn't that a strong word? I, I mean, I don't, I don't really appreciate that word that James gives us here. Now, now, most of us don't think that our disputes are on par with evil. I, I mean, that's just not even on our radar when we start thinking about that. I, I mean, when we think of someone being evil, we think of, a horror movie, you know, The Exorcist or something like that. We think of a serial killer. Certainly, we who go to church every Sunday and worship the Lord can't have evil practices, right? We, we don't think in those terms. But James also here, he's going to use very forceful and powerful words reminding us that the root of our quarrels and the root of the three D's and the fights that we practice comes from that place of evil, that there is something that is not right inside of us that is manifesting itself and coming out that's not of Christ. And think about that the next time that you want to dispute or that you want to be persistent in discord. That may be coming from the evil sources that still reside in us, the the places of the flesh, the things that are so displeasing to the Lord that the Lord still needs to refine me. When when I have this propensity towards discord, I I, I need to remember, you know, Lord, you, you still need to work on my heart. You still need to refine me and make me pure like you. Lord, do something. In me, I, I read about a large church one time. It was going through a modernization sort of conflict or modernization project, not only in the physical church, but sort of on the platform as well. And so some of the people suggested that they change the words of the Lord's Prayer for, to forgive us our debts that are found in some of the modern translations and the modern versions of scriptures instead of the old 
kind of King James word, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. However, there, there was a group of people who demanded that the old, more traditional language maintain trespasses, trespasses, trespasses. And the other side said, no, we need to go to debts, debts, debts. And this caused such a great division within the church, a huge battle where actually hundreds of people left over the word debt or trespasses. And there was a small local newspaper that got hold of the story and said that one side of the congregation went to their debts while the other side remained in their trespasses. And while we give this example in jest, I think that's precisely the point that Paul is making. Because disputes are indicators that there are parts of our flesh that are still awake in us. That there are, uh, that, uh, we, we become these people that are walking still in elements of sin or allowing that sin into our lives and allowing the debt and the trespasses in our lives. And we need to take that language seriously in the Bible when it speaks so firmly against disputes within the body of Christ. So Paul says, you know, disputes, number one, they show your babies. Number two, disputes, they show that you're worldly. But then Paul teaches that the church, that the divisions that they are having really demonstrate that they don't have a very high regard for the pure and the holy body of Christ. That division, in fact, is a sign of our disregard for Christ himself, for, for his very body. In fact, if you drop down in chapter three, just, just skip down, he continues to talk about the disputes that are going on. And, and then he turns the, the narrative a little bit to verse 16. And he says, don't you know that you yourselves, who is he talking about? He's talking about the church here the people of the church are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst. In the midst of what? In the midst of the body of Christ, in the midst of the church. And then he says, so if anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple, notice, it's sacred. And you together, all of you together, you come together and, and, and you are sacred you are the body of Christ. You are holy. And, and, and as you try and destroy one another, or as you are in disunity, that undermines that holy temple. See, he uses a, a different term here to describe their disunity. But, you know, Paul doesn't use, we talked about it last week, so, so thoroughly, the body metaphor, right? We are a body. Here he turns it and uses a temple metaphor. And he firmly states here that any division that is going on, this sort of ongoing clash among them is leading to the destruction of God's sacred temple, his holy temple where the Holy Spirit is present. Those, those don't go uh, together. Where, where the Spirit is dwelling and you're bringing this stain into the temple where the spirit is. You're bringing your quarrels and your disunity and, and the evil that James talks about into the very temple. You're destroying that temple. And, and listen, if we were to use the body metaphor that we used last week and we sort of highlighted in our unity, we can say that our disunity 
is destructive to the very body, the holy and sacred body of Jesus Christ. I think that's what Paul is getting to later on in this book of 1 Corinthians. He, he, throughout the book, he's talking about disunity. He's talking about the quarrels. He's talking, he's addressing so many different disputes that are going on. And towards the end of the, the book, he, he discusses taking the Lord's table, the very symbolism of the unity of the body of Christ, right? We, we talk about it when we take the table together, how we are united in the table. And in chapter 11, he's addressing the fact that the Corinthian church is so divided and so fractured that they aren't allowing certain groups to eat with other groups. And, and, and even certain groups are eating all the food at the church potluck before the other group can get to it. I mean, imagine it's sort of at the church UCM potluck or the meals that we used to have, uh, you know, long before pandemic and the fellowships that we have. And, you know, the choir is over here and they're a little upset with the youth, the youth ministry. And so, uh, you, you know, they're not really happy about, you know, the kind of songs that they're singing and the, the ministry that they're doing. And so when they go to the potluck, they're, they're first in line and they load up their plates saying, Oh, we don't care if they, it's only the youth ministry. It's not, you know, they're, they're a bunch of thugs anyways. Of course they would never do that, but, but that's the imagery that's going on. You know, we'll eat the lechon down to the bones and, and all the trimmings are consumed. And so the choir doesn't care because they are in dispute with the youth ministry. And that's what was going on in, 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 in first Corinthians, in the Corinthian church. And notice what Paul says about this as you're taking the Lord's Supper together. Look at what he says in verse 27. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the blood and body of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves then and see so uh, then and so eat of the bread and the drink of the cup. Notice, he talks about examining to see if you're eating in an unworthy manner and, and so that, that you aren't defiling the Lord's table. See, what, what he's saying here is that when you receive the Lord's table, okay, when you're sitting at the table, when you're taking communion, when you're taking the, the bread and the cup and, and you're bringing those into your flesh, you are declaring that you are in fact a part of the body of Christ. You are proclaiming that and that you honor his precious body. You honor that blood. You elevate it as something that is holy and you are receiving the sacrament as you remember the precious and holy body of Christ. We would all agree to that right? We, we take this, this together and it's a very sacred moment every month here at Union Church of Manila. And then he says, but you, you know, you do that and you love going through that ritual, but then you go ahead and you totally mock the body of Christ, the holy body of Christ in your personal practice. Oh, you, you reflect unity in your word or in, in your practice in the bread and the blood, but then you're not united when you're in disputes, in your actual practice, you actually destroy it. So you proclaim that you honor it when you're taking the sacrament at the same time that you're dishonoring it in your division. He says, that doesn't make any sense. He says, you need to examine yourself and see if you can actually take what you should, uh, the body and blood in the context of, of the Lord's table, 
And if you're not practicing it in your communion with one another, then you can't take it over here. It's funny how we can take a piece of bread and remember the holy body of Christ as a sacred act. It's one of the most sacred things we do as a church, isn't it? I mean, we gather together. It's always a moving and powerful experience as we reflect on our unity in the body of Christ and reflect on what he's done for us. But then at the very next moment, in the same body, in our divisions, we quarrel with people and create disunity and defile the holy body of Christ. So when Paul says, examine yourselves to make sure you honor the holy body, you honor the holy temple in your practice, in what you do in your relationships with one another. He is ultimately saying that if you're divided, you can eat as much bread as you like at the communion table, but you are mocking something that is very holy, the very body of Christ. That's, that's, a, that's a strong message, I know. Uh, the whole idea of disunity is a strong message within the New Testament. So if we are divisive, Paul says, you're a baby, we're, we're worldly, and we mock that which is holy. Very powerful and firm language that Paul uses. I put number one on your outline. If you're following along today, just jot this down. There's only two major points that I want you to embrace as we study together. Number one, when it comes to UCM, as we're talking about being united in Christ, number one, UCM needs to recognize the depravity of division. I use a strong word there. Why? Because Paul uses strong words and the Bible uses strong words when it comes to this idea of dividing in the body of Christ. You know, we think of division in terms of more, more minor sort of language. It's just uncomfortable. It's annoying. It's irritating. It's frustrating. But no, Paul uses much stronger language in his letter to the church of Corinth. Thus, we, we don't take that lightly. We seek to honor the temple. We desire to elevate his holy body. And we do so partly by our unity. Do you realize that? As we are united, we elevate the holy body of Christ. By the way, that doesn't mean that you can't disagree with people in the church. Uh, you know, it means that you don't allow your disagreements to divide you. That, that your disagreements don't lead to disputes or, or, or discord or division. I love how our council responded to the question posed to them about disagreement. And, 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 you know, it was said uh, again and again, we disagree. Yeah, we do. We disagree quite often, but we never divide. We, we don't allow discourse. We don't uh, discord. We don't allow uh, furthering of disputes. We work hard to maintain the purity of the temple of God because all that are on council, it, it's a sacredness to us. It's a holy place. It's, this body is something precious. And, and we keep talking until our disagreements land in unity in order to maintain the holiness of the body of Christ. Now, supposing that these uh, points of disagreement carry on, okay? Let's just put a hypothetical situation here. We, we have these disagreements and they begin to move into discourse or division or ongoing disputes. 
Well, the Bible is so serious and so meticulous about maintaining the unity that it provides principles as to how to restore unity when it's threatened or it's lost. And these principles are, are very practical. And I think it's very applicable for any church that gathers together or any church who could potentially collide together. And the first principle from scripture that I want to share with you is the principle of expediency. The, the principle of expediency. What does that mean? Well, Jesus in his discussion about anger in, in his most famous sermon, it's the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five. He talks about when we are angry and we're in dispute and we're discord with someone else. Notice what he says. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you. He says, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. See, according to this, sometimes in scripture, it's very possible that we might be angry with another person in the body. That, that's going to happen. We, we, we will collide at some point. People will rub you the wrong way. There will be misunderstandings. There will be hurt feelings. There will be uh, different priorities and opinions that cause us sometimes to be angry. That, that is to be expected. If you've never been angry or upset with someone in the body of Christ, you haven't been going to church very long. <laughs> you, you know, I like to say my wife gets angry at church leadership all the time, right? She's married to the lead pastor whose activity can sometimes be quite infuriating, often be quite infuriating. So it is common in our sinful and fallen nature that we will come into places of anger, that that will emerge out of us. But notice the expediency that Jesus calls us to when we experience that anger, when we're at the altar of worship and, and we become aware of the anger or the division within us, Jesus says, reconcile immediately. You remember there's something wrong, he says, as you're worshiping. Oh, you're, you're at church and you remember that you have this thing and there's this thing, uh, you know, anger that's emerging in your heart or this dispute in your heart, this discord with somebody else. He says, well, get up out of the pew and go deal with it. <laughs> go deal with it now. Leave your offering, leave your sacrifice and, and go lay yourself down on the altar to make sure that the holy body of Christ is maintained. Even as you worship, go seek that person out, address it immediately and be reconciled. Then he says, you know, when that's taken care of, then you go back, you know, come back to your, your sacrifice and go back to your worship. But you can't worship very well if you have no reverence for the sacred and holy body of Christ or his temple. Do you understand that? How do we worship him and then not worship him in our discord? He says, go take care of that and then come back to your worship and do it immediately. And beloved, I've seen this happen numerous times in the course of my ministry. It's such a beautiful thing when it occurs, when people have even got up out of the church service, so convicted by the Lord about their anger or discord that they go make a phone call or they go grab another person in the church to ask for forgiveness, or even after the service, when they, they, they come to the front of the church and say, pray with me, I, I, we, we need to be reconciled. It, it's a beautiful thing as people perform the very command of Jesus to be reconciled, to recognize 
the sacred act of reconciliation in the body of Christ is leading to the holiness and the purity of the body of Christ. It's a wonderful thing. As people honor Jesus and his holy body, if you have division, Jesus says, seek immediate reconciliation. But then secondly, we we don't only have the principle of expediency, we have the principle of of what I call gentle communication. What do I mean by that? Well, if you go to Ephesians chapter 4, Paul, again, is in in the book of Ephesians. It's one of the churches that he's talking about, unity and and discord and and, and, um, uh, the the friction that lies in the body of Christ. And in chapter 4, it's uh, maybe the centerpiece work of unity in the entire scripture. It's the centerpiece of our study on our midweek study this week. In Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. He says, you know, when there's this friction that is emerging with one another, he says, he mentions the need to forgive one another, which means that there will clearly be disputes in the church, but it also means that there will need to be communication, right? You don't forgive without this idea of communication. And then he even tells us what kind of communication. He says, you know, be kind to one another, be tender-hearted and, and forgiving. You've got to have these tender words. You see, you can't be in conflict and sort of sweep everything under the rug and hope that you can avoid that person, you know, for the longest time. Okay. Hey, honey, you know, we're going to go to church today, but I got to sit in the balcony. I don't want to be near so-and-so. I don't want them to see me. I don't want to have to talk to them. Well, well, number one, you're, defi- or you're, you're violating principle number one of expediency that Jesus says you need to go take care of this. But secondly, you're not dealing with the command that is given to forgive one another with tenderheartedness and, and with kindness. Not using abrasive words, but using the tender words. Those, those words of tenderheartedness are, are, are the words that a mother would use towards her child. He says, use those words with one another when you're in these disputes. As you're seeking forgiveness with the gentleness and the love of Christ. He says, what in the way that Christ forgave you? (laughs) With gentleness and kindness and love. So we have several principles here. First of all, we have the principle of expediency. Secondly, we have this principle of gentle communication. And thirdly, the Bible gives us the principle of seeking help when you're in the midst of conflict. If you feel that the situation cannot be resolved on your own, and sometimes it seems impossible that it can be, and you struggle, but you know that you, you have this deep desire to, to, to restore the holy body of Christ, and you don't want to be part of that problem. You don't want to be part of that division, but you don't know the way forward. And, and you've tried reconciliation, you've tried to communicate, and you've tried expediency. You know, the Bible says that you go get godly help to resolve that. In fact, we see this in, again, the letter that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians. Just a few chapters after the chapter that we've been studying today in chapter 6. Believers, (laughs) it gets worse from chapter 3 to chapter 6. Believers are so angry with each other that they're suing each other in the public courts. They're taking each other to court. They're so filled with rage that they are, you know, saying, I'm going to, I want to lock you up. I want to take you for everything that you're worth over their disputes. And Paul says, you know, instead, he says, why aren't you going to the wise? 
Why aren't you going to the spirit-filled people in the church to help you settle this? Get help from people who love the body of Christ. Not the people who are indifferent to it or the people who don't care about the purity of it. But he says, you know, it's okay. Go get godly help in an attempt to reconcile. There are people among you who can help judge and bring this to a conclusion to restore purity, to to bring reconciliation. You know, at UCM, years and years ago, it was established. We have a a reconciliation team. Most people don't know that we even have such a thing here. But it helps members who have come into the sort of the three Ds, discord, dispute, and division. And the sole purpose of that team is to help bring about reconciliation and restoration to the holy and pure body of Christ. And and thank God we seldom have to use it. It's it's a testimony to our diversity and unity in our unity in our diversity and and how this church prizes and elevates the purity of the body of Christ. And for that, we are grateful. However, it's very establishment shows that number one, our leaders, when they were crafting the idea of this, they understood the very real possibility of disputes and division in the body of Christ based upon the big, repeated biblical warnings that we see over and over again. And secondly, they understood the imperative to help believers settle disputes immediately or as quickly as possible in order to preserve the holiness and the purity of, of this precious temple of God. Thus, if you're in an ongoing unity with someone in the body and can't seem to resolve it on your own, Seek help from those who love and value the purity of the body in Christ and and want to maintain that. So fourth principle that I'd like to have, we have two more principles here. The fourth principle is the principle of loving Jesus. The principle of loving Jesus. What what do we mean by that? Well, don't we all love Jesus? Yes, of course, we we love the Lord. That's for sure. I, I, I don't question that. But in our disputes, I think we need to be reminded that our love for Jesus runs so deep that we don't want to leave the mark on his body. I don't want to leave that mark on his body because I love him. See, I understand that forgiveness in the body is sometimes challenging. Listen, I've been challenged personally on this over and over again. And I found that there are some grievances that are so great and so painful for me personal, personally and challenging me uh, that they, 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 I struggle to forgive. And I find myself unable in my own strength. I've heard people say, well, you just got to forgive. Well, that's, I, I don't know that I can do that sometimes. Or out of the well of my own authority or my own moral goodness to sort of switch a, a, a light on somewhere in my head and say, I shall find rest, restoration today. Oftentimes, beloved, I, I confess, I feel I'm incapable un- to do that, incapable of doing that. And, but then I turn to Christ and I reflect on my love for him. I, I take my eyes off of the dispute and I turn my eyes to Jesus I turn my eyes to the love I have for the Holy Temple that I've served my whole life. I I love what he's done in the body of Christ. And I don't want to be a part of soiling his perfect 
and his beautiful body that I've given my life to, that he has allowed me to become a part of, I want nothing to do with soiling of that. And I realize that my own actions are like throwing mud on the white wedding gown of a bride, that my thirst to quarrel or my thirst to be unable to let this go is leaving a stain on his beautiful body. And that disturbs me. And so I look to him and say, Lord, help me. I I want to maintain the purity of the body of Christ. I remember, this is what Paul says to Euodia and Syntyche in in Philippians chapter four. Notice what the text says. There's two ladies and they're going after each other. And he says, I I entreat Euodia and entreat Syntyche to agree. Notice what he says. I, I, I entreat them that they would agree, that they would just get over it. Does he say that? They, they just have to suck it up and figure out how to agree. No, you look at the words. You got to agree in the Lord. I know you both love the Lord. So remember him in your disputes. Remember the unity he calls you to. Remember his precious holy body that you are throwing mud at as you are in conflict. Think of the Lord in your disunity, and that will help you resolve your current conflict out of your great love for him. I find he gives me what I need to forgive out of that perspective. With that perspective, I don't say I'm going to muster up the strength to forgive. I simply say, Lord, I love you so deeply. So out of my great love for you, I'll do what needs to be done because I love your church. And it's in that frame of mind, it's like, for me, for me, it becomes a sacrament. I'm taking the body of Christ. I'm taking a sacrament, similar to the wonder of taking the Lord's Supper as my action is a holy action in my desire to maintain the holiness of his body. And in this realization, as I hold the holiness of Christ in the highest regard, my joy is restored and forgiveness flows more easily as I turn my eyes away from the dispute in front of me and I focus them on preserving the purity and the wonder of the body of Christ. Final principle that, uh, for our reconciliation is the principle of accepting wrongdoing. What do I mean by that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, remember we talked about it in the lawsuit section, they were suing one another in the church And notice what the text says. It says to have lawsuits with one another is already a defeat for you. Why? It's destroying the body of Christ, right? We know that that's deadly to the body of Christ. He says, why not then suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? Interesting that he would say that, right? The point is that your division is being paraded everywhere And what a way to dishonor Christ's body is everybody's watching. The depravity of man and worldliness is on display for all. He says it's better actually for you, for the body of Christ, to be wronged than to defile the sacred temple that represents his body. In your persistence of discord in order to get what you want. See, you put all these principles together, these five principles together, and we see that if we are going to value being united in Christ, UCM needs to recognize the biblical urgency of full reconciliation. I put number two on your outline, jot it down. UCM needs to recognize the biblical urgency for full uh, reconciliation. We need to be a community that gets it into our DNA that we are a reconciling community. Yeah, there's going to be disagreements. Yeah, there's going to be anger. 
Yeah, there's going to be problems. There's going to be friction and fireworks sometimes. But we are committed to full reconciliation for the holy body of Christ. I know it's not easy to be united in Christ. (laughs) Just look in the pages of scripture. Sometimes it's challenging to get along with other people. We're filled with emotion, filled with opinions, filled with frustrations, sometimes physical pains, sometimes emotional pains, filled with firm convictions. And so there are bound to be sparks. But the church strives to overcome these. It's divisions, it's discord, and it's dispute. To love one another and walk in unity. And and let me get real personal here with you. Are you dealing with one of the D's or all the D's right now with someone in the body of Christ? Maybe you need to turn off the TV or your device, lay your worship down, lay your sacrifice down, get on the phone, get on a Zoom call, get on Viber, and humble yourself and gently find forgiveness. As you treasure the precious and pure and holy body of Christ in your attempt to be reconciled. We're not perfect. No, we will sometimes fail even in our interactions. But the beauty of Christ is that he makes all things new when we seek restoration and reconciliation. I believe, based on what we've studied today, that he absolutely loves and rejoices when his people in the church that are sort of fragmented, they attempt to reconcile. He delights in that. Let me finish with just a powerful parable I read a couple of years ago. I I, I jotted it down. It moved me so deeply. And uh, it, it goes something like this. There's these two hermit monks who lived together for many years without quarreling once, ever. One said to the other one day, came to him and said, hey, you know, let's have a quarrel with each other as other men do. The other answered, he said, well, you know, I don't, I don't think I know how to do that. <laughs> how does a quarrel happen? Well, the first one said, well, look here. I put a brick between us, between you and me, somewhere in between us. And then I say, that's mine. And then you respond by saying, no, that's mine. That's how you start a quarrel. Oh, I see. Okay, let's try it. And so they they put a brick between them. They went and got a brick and and laid it down and put it in between them. And the second one who was being taught the art of quarreling then followed with the instruction of the first monk. He said, as that brick was laying there, he said, now that's mine. And he smiled. And the first monk who was teaching him the art of the quarrel firmly retorted, he said, No, it's mine. And the second one, out of years of instinct and quarreling and ineptitude to quarrel, immediately replied, oh, yes, it is my brother. It is yours. Please forgive me and take the the, the brick with you. They tried again and again and again. And they were never able to understand and perfect the art of quarreling. I know it's only a fable, but oh, that it would be so true in the transformed body of Christ 
that we would be so transformed, that we would so love his body, that we would be so tender with one another, that the church would lose its instinct, its appetite, and its aptitude to quarrel, that we just wouldn't have it in us. That it would be so unnatural to us who are a reconciling people, who are a holy temple and the precious and pure body of Christ. Lord, unite us in your precious body. In Jesus' name, amen.